You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Mixed martial arts. Mixed martial arts. How do we like your martial arts? We like the mix! So perfect for Title Town USA, the fighting city of Boston, Massachusetts, as tomorrow night the UFC returns to the TD Garden and brings with it a fascinating main event for the Bantamweight title. We get a second title fight in the women's strawweight division. We got some heat on a welterweight fight. There's a lot of interesting storylines going down here at UFC 292. We're here to talk about it right now. Welcome to the UFC 292 preview show here on MMAfighting.com. I am Mike Heck here in Boston, the room where the ceremonial, not the ceremonial ends, the morning weigh-ins kicked off a little while ago. All the fighters made weight, main event official, all the fights are made official. And joining me is my best friend, the man who is not even calling this event UFC 292, but the man who is calling this event the Tough 31 finale. There he is, the incomparable Alexander K. Lee. AK, how are you? Ultimate Fighter 31 finale, finally. Finally. I, I wasn't sure we would get here. It's been a long 12 weeks with with everyone there, my fighting crew, but especially GC Connor Burks and uh, E. Casey Lydon, who were with me on every episode. Shout out to Mike as well and uh, Jed Mishu, who, t- who chimed in on an episode. But we are finally at the finale. That's all we're here to talk about the two biggest fights in the card. Austin Hubbard versus Kurt Hollibaugh and uh, Brad Katona versus Cody Gibson. So, Mike, let's get right. Do you want to just get right into it or do we want to talk about some of like the undercard stuff first? I mean, what do you want to how do you want to do this? I mean, we could we could start. So what would be the main event is is Kurt in your eyes? Is Kurt Hollibaugh, Austin Hubbard the main event of this card? Oh, it's Brad Katona, Cody Gibson. I mean, Brad Katona looking to become the first the first two time ultimate fighter champion. You make this history. The ultimate, ultimate fighter or multimate fighter, as I prefer, uh, Cody Gibson, a nearly decade long journey to try to get back to the UFC. And then, yeah, you got the co-main with uh, Kurt Hollibaugh and uh, Austin Hubbard, which is which is could easily be the main mic. But everyone's here for Katona and Gibson. Well, I'm very curious after hearing what you just said, what the gymnastics score for you is for UFC 292, because we do have the two title fights. Technically, it's four title fights if we count the Ultimate Fighter finale bouts. Where are you at here? We got Aljamain Sterling, Sean O'Malley. We got the second title fight with Zhang Wei Li and Amanda Lemos. We got some fights with some heat on it. We got the two tough fights. We have some the first two fights of this card. Andrea Lee versus Natty Ice, Natalia Silva, and Marina Morose. Uh, versus the other Silva on this card, Karine Silva. Those are two really good fights to kick off this card. So where where is the AK Lee gymnastics score right now for UFC 292? I'm so excited, man. It's got to be at like a 9.6, 9.7. I just love the storylines going to this fight. I love the matchups. I love the matches that they managed to cobble together. Uh, you know, even though they, they lost some fighters, I think they put together some really good they called up some really good replacement opponents that are intriguing and challenging in their own way love Silvamania to start the card obviously i love the ultimate fighter finale um two of those fights chris weidman coming back it there, there's just so many good positive things that can happen and if everything clicks and everything lands and we get some good competitive fights 
some memorable, exciting finishes, maybe a successful Chris Weidman comeback, fingers crossed. Again, this could be one of the, I don't want to say action-wise, I don't know if people are going to say it's one of the best cards of the year, but one of the most talked about, like by, by four months from now. It could be. I think. I think we could. We could be. We could be talking about this one, especially if there's an upset in the main event. Boy, I mean, we'll be remembering this one not just this year, but we'll be remembering it for a long time. So I'll go nine point seven. Nine point seven. That's how highly I. I think wow. this card can go. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know if you like two ninety and two ninety one were that high for you, AK. I've given some tens. I've given some tens. Uh, two ninety one wasn't. What right. was the last time? What was the last time I gave a ten? There was a pay per view earlier this year. I'll try to remember. Uh, was two eighty eight? I don't know. There's some. There's been some tens. There's been no. some tens. Not two eighty eight. No, you can't. No <laughs> one gave two eighty eight a ten. Nobody in the there's, in the on paper, the aftermath, any of it. That is not a ten. <laughs> Somewhere in there, there's it is 10, not a ten in that car. Yeah. Right. Well, it will be talked about for four months or for f- the next four years. If, like you said, Sean O'Malley can pull off the big upset and defeat Aljamain Sterling. And it's been real interesting here, AK, because everything on paper tells me that this should be the Aljamain Sterling show. He should not walk through Sean O'Malley, but he should have a relatively fun time getting through this fight and getting a pretty sizable payday at that because Sean O'Malley is the biggest star in the division. And everything on paper tells most pundits Sterling should do very well here if he just sticks to what he does well. On the flip side, Destiny is hard to stop, and Sean O'Malley feels like the karma, the good juju, everything, the momentum, it's all on his side. And no matter what happens on Saturday, just this night, on this night, when he steps into the octagon with Aljamain Sterling, it is meant to be that he will walk out of the TD Garden as the Bantamweight champion. What have you made of the build and and sort of the the destiny thing? I don't know how much you believe in that when it comes to combat sports and certain moments in the sport. But a lot of people just feel like, you know what? It doesn't matter what the matchup is stylistically. Sean O'Malley is just going to win the belt because that's what's supposed to happen here. Mike, it's funny you mentioned the word destiny because I just put up a feature on MMAfighting.com about fighters who were received a lot of hype and were seemingly destined to win a UFC title uh, ahead of their very first championship challenge. So you guys check that. That's on uh, MMAfighting.com right now. It talks about Conor McGregor and Brock Lesnar, uh, Holly Holmes in there, even though I don't know how super hyped she was going to that Rousey fight, which kind of had to be mentioned. Cody Garbrandt, some other names in there, Darren Till, um, all kind of to put context into what Sean O'Malley is trying to pull off here and what he could be capable of if he does as far as his star power his 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 influence his uh whether he himself will go on a, on a long reign so it's funny it's fun to look at what happened to people in the past and where their careers went after uh win or lose so i love i've loved the build up to this the only thing that sucks was that we had that weird murky situation where right after uh aljo wins that close decision over Cejudo, of course we know that um Sugar Sean O'Malley should be next, but it did feel a bit awkward for them to just sort of immediately go like, oh, well, it's booked. It's booked. It's already done. It's booked to happen, uh, you know, uh, a couple of months from now, like a somewhat of a quick turnaround for the champion, Aljamain Sterling. And and we all knew Aljamain Sterling wanted to fight Sean O'Malley. We all knew this was a fight to make. The only And he was, I thought he was pretty reasonable saying, let me get my medicals checked let me make sure I, I'm, I'm I'm okay to get back and train and give myself a proper camp before this. And it somehow turned into this thing, you know, just fodder for Sean O'Malley and for the fans, even Dana White saying like, oh, we don't know what's going on with Aljo, why he's not agreeing to 
it, it, that part was so silly. I'm glad that's in the past. I'm glad, you know, it's come through interviews, but it is by no means the main narrative going to this fight. The narrative in this should be Aljo looking to continue to make history, uh, extending what is already a record of title defenses, could could extend that record to four in the bantamweight division. Sean O'Malley possibly ascending to that level of stardom, that, you, that crossover stardom that you only see with McGregor, Lesnar, Ronda Rousey, because that fan base is there. And so that that I'm glad that that is what we are focusing on. I'm glad that's what the UFC has done. I think a pretty good job of pushing since the fight was actually officially announced. And, you know, we'll get to our predictions, Mike. Some people might think this is an obvious fight to pick. But even if you think that, just the intrigue going in, I, it's so compelling. The drama is is everything it should be for a title fight. Uh, I'm all in. This is a, If I was just rating this one title fight, it's a, it's a 10 out of 10. Yeah, Sean O'Malley's become sort of uh, an adopted New Englander because there are no Boston guys on the card. There are no Massachusetts fighters on this card. But Sean O'Malley's just be kind of kind of become like the adopted fighter in Boston, which is just nuts. It is Sean O'Malley country, which really makes no sense because he's not from here at all. I know the last name makes sense, but it's just very strange that a kid from Montana is so over in Boston a- ahead of this big fight. So – there are a lot of interesting storylines that go to it. So I want to touch on one of them, AK. I want to talk about the pressures on both of these guys, because to me, I feel like Sean O'Malley has, I'm not going to say he has no pressure, but he has very little pressure in this fight because of his star power, because of the way he has presented himself. If you watched him and heard him at the media day, very pro wrestling esque. He's putting Aljo over as the greatest bantamweight of all time. He's supposed to lose this fight. If I lose this fight, then I'm the last guy to fight the guy. So I'm kind of technically the champion anyway. He's saying all the right things. And on the other side, Aljamain Sterling feels like this is going to be pretty quick work because Sean has does not have a great resume. And Sean has painted that picture. Well, if I don't have a great resume and I beat you, what does that make you as a champion? What does that make your resume look like? So Sean is saying the right things. I feel like there's some pressure, but very little. I feel like he could bounce back to a title shot very, very quickly. I feel like 97 percent of the pressure is on Aljamain Sterling heading into tomorrow. Do you agree with that or am I absolutely insane? I, I don't know, 97%, but more. It, ha- it has to be more on Aljo because he has said, I'm going up to featherweight after this. And that's with the assumption that he's beating Sean O'Malley. I think anytime he's added a caveat in interviews, it's like, oh, well, if the- and if, if by some chance I lose to Sean, you know, then I might, cons- I might consider coming back. But generally he's saying, he's saying, this is the last one because I'm going to win and then I'm going to get out of the way so my buddy Mirab Dvalishvili can then can then conquer the division and continue this this Sarah Longo lineage. Um, so there's a, that, that aspect there's pressure on him. Uh, the fact that, like you said, he hasn't necessarily given O'Malley all of his props. He's cer- he's certainly credited him as a striker, and I think if uh, you know if you if you look at his issues closely, he he has said you know Sean's a worthy challenger, but definitely this week. He's focused on the hype aspect. He has focused on the how did this guy get here? Who is he beaten? <clears throat> Which again, as you said, it's like that's that's poor pro wrestling promotion on Aljo's part because yes, it, if you beat this guy, well now you beat a guy who you say has beaten nobody. If you lose to him, you just lost to a guy who you say has beaten nobody. Meanwhile, O'Malley taking the opposite tact. If I win, I've knocked off. I beat the best bantamweight there ever was to become number one. That's just basic promotion great self-promotion um and it's a tip of the and if you lose it softens it. it's a tip of the cap to your opponent it's like hey i went in there with the best and i lost there's no big deal right so uh i but i i back to the pressure question yeah man it's it, it's a lot on aljo if he gets knocked out by o'malley i mean not not to keep harping on the mcgregor comparisons 
But when Jose Aldo went in there with McGregor, he was favored. I believe he was favored. A lot of us pundits in the MMA media who were still skeptical of like how good McGregor really was were like, well, this is the fight. This is the one where this guy gets exposed and people see who that the why the champ is the champ, why this guy coming up is just a big hype job. And Aldo, as much as I hate to say it, has never that 13 second knockout will always be part of his legacy. And when you when you McGregor fanboys, it's all they bring up all the times. Oh, the 13 seconds, 13 seconds. This is why McGregor should be ranked above Aldo in the all-time great talks. He knocked him out in 13 seconds. Da, da, da. That clip has been played a million times. It will and Aldo, again, his legacy cemented in stone but that part is is something that will always be people always bring up when trying to bring him down and it sucks it shouldn't be that way but it is the same thing will happen with, with sterling if he lo- if he gets knocked out by o'malley holy crap his whole title run which is already one of the strangest title runs we have ever seen will be called into question people say see see it just he uh, he finally you know he finally faces this guy and then and then he gets knocked out and uh, how great a champion was sterling really which is so unfair because i think sterling's run has been very good um any question marks about it are out of his control, uh, but again, I can t- I can I can say this all I want. People in the media, critics can can say this all they want. What a lot of people are going to remember if it goes down as O'Malley wants to go down Saturday is him knocking Sterling out cold. So if that happens, that's just a huge hit to Sterling and his legacy. It shouldn't be, but it will be. And if it goes the other way, like like you've said, Mike, before, um, O'Malley has plenty of chances to bounce back. I don't even like. I don't even mention like. I don't even really ask that question from like a legacy perspective because, even though Aljamain Sterling has said that he has met with the UFC brass ever since this fight was booked and there was a bu- bunch of talk about how am I being promoted and the way Aljamain has been sort of portrayed by Dana in, in the promotion. I wonder what this means. Like, if he goes out and loses with this thought about moving to one forty-five, and maybe he, he he might just try to angle for that rematch, but. I don't know how confident I am that he would just that he would get it. You know what I mean? Like if Sean wins, he's going to have a lot more sway in this, and he's already planted the seeds that if Marlon Vera beats Pedro Munoz, he wants to fight Marlon Vera in December and have that rematch, which is probably the biggest fight in the division that could be made right now. So if Sean O'Malley wins this, wins the title, how long of a road is it back to a title shot for Aljamain Sterling, whether it's a 35 or 45? Could Sean O'Malley potentially knock Aljamain Sterling out of the title picture forever if he wins tomorrow? It's a little harsh. And I think if Sterling doesn't get a rematch, and I, and, and I am someone who's against immediate rematches typically, I love the bantamweight division. There's so many people I'd love to get a title shot. I want to see Cheeto and I'll, uh, and O'Malley fight again someday, certainly for the title, would make it even more compelling. Um, but given the circumstances under which we've seen other champions get rematches, uh, I, if, it almost feels unfair to not give Aljo that shot, right? And uh, boy, he's been talking about Dana White privilege a lot. He that he would be uh, doing the Dana White privilege media tour if he lost O'Malley and did and if he wanted a rematch if he called for it like right away either at the press conference or like within this week and didn't get it. I don't know. Again, I'm not even saying like that. He he he's it's like an automatic like oh he's had such a dominant run that to give him a championship uh, not give him a rematch would be wrong. I'm just saying based on what we've seen, I feel like there are champions who have accomplished less who got immediate rematches. Uh, so can O'Malley knock, could he possibly permanently knock him out of the title picture? Yes. Yes. I don't think it's right. I think, 
and this is maybe me being blindly optimistic and <laughs> somewhat ignorant of how the promotion has worked with Sterling in the past. I think if Sterling wanted the rematch, they would give it to him. So that's where I'd lean. That's if I'm betting money, I would say Sterling, as long as he acts somewhat quickly, letting his intentions be known, uh, gets that rematch. If he does some sort of, I need to take some time to think, and and we don't hear from him for like two weeks, the UFC will move on from him so quickly, you won't even, you'll barely remember that he was the champion. That's how quickly they're ready to move on. But I, I think he can influence their hand a little bit. Um, so I will go, no, um, an O'Malley win does not definitely knock Sterling out of the title picture. Um, but Sterling's got to play his cards right if that happens because the UFC uh, is not going to feel like they owe him anything. Yeah, that's going to be super interesting. Either way, just Aljo, because if Aljo wins, he's the lone holder of, of the title defense record in the division. He, he, he will still have the title for the most consecutive title defenses in the division. Him moving up to 145 is interesting. Some people feel like, a win solidifies his run because it has been a very strange title reign, winning the title by DQ, then the split decision, then the TJ fight with the one armed and the, the one arm and the injury, then the Cejudo fight with the weird split decision and the just horrendous scorecard that if that judge just got it right, then Henry Cejudo would be the champion right now. It's just wild to even think about. And now he's fighting Sean O'Malley and he feels that the aftermath of this fight should he win is, well, Sean was not that good to begin with. So what are the chances that a dominant win from Aljamain Sterling, especially if he finished him in the first three rounds, people will be like, you know what? This dude is the best Bantamweight of all time. Or do you think they'll react the way that Aljo kind of feels that he still won't get the credit that he's due and that Sean just wasn't that good to begin with? It doesn't help that he's doing the Sean's, uh, you know, a hype, a hype uh, machine product. Like that was the worst thing he could have done because he's all, and he's probably doing it in a, he's trying to get ahead of it. I, I, I get it. He he. I think Aljo thinks like, okay, I can outsmart people, but I'm going to get ahead of this because people are going to say this after I beat him. So I'm going to say it before. And then it's like, well, I knew all along that people were going to discredit this win. But that's like trying to get ahead of a narrative. That's not controlling a narrative. Uh, maybe he's given up on that because he's done a lot. If there's one thing Aljo has done throughout his career. He's been very good with uh, media. He's been very good at doing media appearances with reacting to things said about him with reacting to things uh, said about things that he's said. He's very online. He's very uh, uh, media savvy. Um, again, uh, mileage may vary on on how he's handled some of these situations, but he is very active as far as reacting to things. But in this sense, he might be a little too proactive because again, if now we'll run it down. Like I said, let's say he beats, let's say he beats uh, O'Malley and let's say it's like, a, a, you know, not a super thrilling decision win. Like he doesn't submit him. Not super. Then you're right. Then he says, Oh, well you just beat a hype train, a guy with no grappling, a guy who's like your style is good against. And then Cejudo, I mean, you barely won against Cejudo. DJ Dillashaw, the one arm, we could, we go on and on. Won the title by DQ, uh, a split decision against Jan in the rematch. It, if it won't legitimize it because I think it's legitimate already. I think this is a great title run. Things with against very high level competition, circumstances out of his control that have put whatever asterisks on some of these performances. So if you don't think it's legitimate already, I don't know if him beating O'Malley changes that. So Mike, I don't know if that answers your question because again, I think it's already legitimate, and I think people who already think it's legitimate, win or lose, win or lose, shouldn't change that. Let's say he gets knocked out by O'Malley on on uh, Saturday. For me, that doesn't delegitimize his title run. It's been a great title run, and he lost to I, who I think is a pretty good challenger. Um, if he, but if you're 
anti-Aljo. If you think, again, all these asterisks are should be blown up and matter, then him beating uh, O'Malley is not going to change anything. So technically, I guess my answer is no, Mike. I don't, I don't think anything that happens on Saturday will uh, make it extra legitimate. And that's what makes this all very interesting because if on top of that, even if Aljo wins, that means he's going to vacate and go to 45. Who's going to fight for the vacant title? Does Sean get right back in there? Is it going to be Marab versus Henry Cejudo? Like, it's going to be real, real fascinating to see how this all plays out. And we'll probably talk about that more on onto the next one on Sunday, a live edition, which will be on this program. But AK, let's just get right into this. Let's make the pick. Let's make it official right now. According to our friends at DraftKings Sportsbook, Aljamain Sterling, the favorite, minus 258. The comeback on the challenger, Sugar Shot O'Malley, plus 210. AK, who leaves the city of champions as the champion themselves? I've, you know, wrestled with this in my mind, no pun intended. I just can't see a world where O'Malley can stop Sterling's takedowns as many times as he needs to because uh, we, we talked about it on the uh, live weigh-in show, my kind of saying like, is, is this a puncher's chance situation? Does O'Malley need to catch him with something and knock him out? And I, I think no matter how you expect O'Malley to win, uh, it has to be – he has to keep the fight on the feet. I'm sure he's practiced a ton of jujitsu, practiced a ton of wrestling. He probably even enjoys it. He probably likes grappling practice. I'm, I'm sure he does and good for him. But there's – we say it all the time. There's like a lifetime of training a certain skill and you're just not going to catch up with it in however many months you have to prepare or even how, however how long um, you know uh, O'Malley has been, been training in MMA, right? Because uh, Sterling has been wrestling his whole life and he's very good at it. It's not like he's a guy who's been wrestling his whole life and we don't see it in the cage. We see it in a lot of his fights. It's, 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 it's emphasized. He's improved a ton as a striker. He's a good striker too, but that wrestling is his base and he goes to it when he needs it. Um, if O'Malley suddenly becomes, you know, prime Chuck Liddell sprawling and brawling, sure, he could knock Sterling out. He could outstrike him over 25 minutes. But we've seen wrestlers take O'Malley down as recently as – oh, sorry, people use their wrestling. I don't want to – I was going to say Piotr Jan. I don't want to pigeonhole him as a wrestler, but he's a guy who certainly can wrestle, and he did against Sean O'Malley. While they might have di- while they may have different approaches to doing it, it's, it's I still view O'Malley's takedown defense as a significant weakness. And while Aljo, I'm sure, would love to prove that he can outstrike O'Malley, uh, he can always fall back on the wrestling, and he should. And I think he's going to take O'Malley's back more than once. O'Malley may be able to survive one of those exchanges, but he won't be able to survive the entire fight. Sterling, by submission, rear naked choke, uh, round three. Uh, I'm going round two. If you listen to Obets Bard, I've, I've laid this out. I've actually... Uh, for the sake of science, I'm actually like placing bets on this one because I'm going to be on the show. I'm not going to be like, hey, this is what I would do, but I'm actually not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I have some exposure on Aljamain Sterling. I have a bet on Aljamain Sterling inside the distance. I have a bet on Aljamain Sterling round two. I have a bet on Aljamain Sterling round three. A couple sprinkles. And, and guess what, Mike? Guess what? Friends right. forever because I listened to the show and I did the same thing. I've also got Aljamain by finishing rounds two and three because of you. So we are riding and dying on this one together. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> I don't know if this is a jinx so, or... I, I am the worst at predicting together, things. <laughs> I am the worst at predicting things, so this might be bad for you. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, maybe maybe not submit your predictions article. That would be might be a great thing for my bets. But, <laughs> Just don't yeah, do it. I, but, and I'll talk about this with the co-main event as well. Nothing would surprise me here. 
like just maybe there is a sort of like kismet destiny style thing that happens and Sean O'Malley is just meant to win the title tomorrow in Boston. He might just kick Aljamain and Sterling in the face. We have no idea. And that's what makes this fight so interesting. So let's go to the co-main of NAK. We have Zhang Wei Li, first title defense in the second reign after just running over Carlos Barza, takes on Amanda Lemos. Amanda, obviously a very dangerous fighter in her own right. I remember Casey Lydon was incredibly high on Amanda a couple of years back right we're in the thick of the pandemic and here she is getting ready to fight for a world title so great read by our wonderful producer ekc but i i've brought this up a million times ak and i'll bring it up to you right now i feel like nobody's talking about this fight nobody's talking about it it's it's the sean o'malley algerman sterling show and now it has become the ian machado gary neil magny show which we'll get into in a moment and this one's just just a fun fight that's not getting any love are you surprised that this is not getting like any attention it's very strange i'm not surprised at all and i love this fight but i'm not surprised the lamos the announcement of the fight at first was a, was itself a surprise to everyone um not that lamos well I, it, based on meritocracy lamos didn't deserve it because she lost to jessica andrage not that long ago uh in a submission of the year candidate uh fight um and the two women who beat jessica andrage uh yan shaunan and Tatiana Suarez, you know, we we want to see them fight. Well, we want to see one of them fight Zhang Li, preferably both. You know, a perfect scenario for the UFC would have been Yan getting able to fight uh, Zhang in China sometime this year, and then Tatiana Suarez uh, fighting her either at the end of the year or early next year. Right? That's. But the champ wants to fight. The champ needed an opponent. Lamoche, great performance against marina rodriguez who has just had so much bad luck she she feels like she'd done enough to earn a title fight but never got that signature win and then lamos just runs through her and lamos takes that spot so the fight kind of came out it wasn't the fight we expected it wasn't the fight we necessarily wanted it's just the timing worked out um there's a you could say there's a language barrier too of course you know uh, uh, uh jang from china lamos from brazil they don't speak the same language i don't think they're interested in talking trash to each other either way um even if that wasn't an issue if anyone's watched embedded this week their segments are have nothing to do about each other they're barely talking about each other it's just training and dieting and it's just not a dynamic matchup personality wise but on paper great fight Definitely legitimate challenger. Lamosh has so many finishes at 115. People complain sometimes about strawweight division not having enough finishes. And Lamosh, I feel like, has like half of them that happened last year. She's just that's that's how she does, or within the last two years. Um, and Zhang is obviously a finisher. She runs through people. She's a she's an absolute juggernaut. So people should be talking about more, Mike. They should be. I think we've tried to do our part, but I don't blame fans for uh not knowing that this is happening and and uh, and not necessarily being at the front of their conversations when it comes to ufc 292 yeah i mean it's it's what happens zhang wei li versus joanny and jaycheck won like no one was really talking about it except dana was when dana was like really promoting he was putting that fight over and some of the hardcores were into it and ended up being one of the greatest fights of all time so maybe lightning will strike twice but ak it's been very interesting here in boston because between fans fellow media members that I've spoken to, and even some of the security that was working at the Garda during the press conference yesterday, Amanda Lemos is kind of the do- the darling dog on this car. A lot of mm-hmm. people feel like she has a much better chance than the betting lines are indicating. So before we get to our official pick, what would be a more shocking result in your eyes? Sean O'Malley winning or Amanda Lemos winning? Uh, O'Malley. O'Malley, because I'm, I'm with everyone. 
this is one thing I don't like about the Lamosh Zhang matchup is that Lamosh has a really good chance of finishing. Zhang Weili is a super athlete, um, great technically. She has everything like that you need to be a dominant champion. But I think she also has a lot of good challengers. Like uh, of the three names we mentioned, I think I feel most comfortable picking her against Yan Shonan. But doesn't mean a lot of people picking Tatiana Suarez against her. And I'm like you said, there's probably a handful of big Amanda Lamosh. And the one question for me is Zhang's defense. She's not like the best offensive fighter. Um, we've seen her knocked out. We saw her war with Joanna. This is an issue. Um, if Lamosh hits you, and I think she is gonna, I think she is gonna catch Zhang a few times. She could put your ass down. So this is not a case where, uh, like, this is an opponent where, like, oh well, how how is she gonna beat Zhang? It's like there's. A lot of ways she can get this done. She's she she has good jujitsu. She can finish. She can finish um, via submission. So you know me. I'm always going chalk. I'm always playing it safe. Uh, so of course you know if you ask me when the fight was booked, I'm leaning towards the champion. But again, Lamosh could really spoil the UFC's plans to have Yan Shaonan and Zhang Weili um, fight in China. You could still do that fight. You could have it be a non-title fight. Um, so since it probably wouldn't be a pay-per-view, they do it in China. So you can do a non-title. Uh, five round main event featuring Yan and Zhang, but boy, you'd really like to have that title in there. Um, that's 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 sort of the idea, and it seems like the cards were aligned up perfectly. But now you have a real spoiler in Lamosh here, so for sure, I would find O'Malley um, beating Sterling more shocking. I, I think Lamosh is as live an underdog as, as you can be. Well, her price tag is the underdog is plus two fifty. Zhang Weili, very sizable favorite, minus 310. What's the official pick, AK? Have you you felt like Zhang Weili at the beginning, but as time has gone on, are we flipping? Are we flipping over to the challenger? It feels like I've done everything possible to jinx Zhang Weili. Not that uh, I believe in that sort of thing. We did a UFC 292 primer this that went up uh, earlier this week. And one of the questions, and I, I'll tell you right now, I was responsible for making the questions. One of the questions was, what's next for Zhang Weili after this fight? So I was, I've been super disrespectful to Alamos' chances. This is more to do with, again, my confidence in Zhang Weili. Yes, I think she can get caught. Yes, I wish she was a little bit sharper defensively. But I do think she is, pound for pound, one of the top three fighters in the world. And I trust her. I, I uh, After the... Going into the Esparza fight, I was like, I think Zhang is peaking at the right time. So we thought we all thought she would beat Carla. She did in pretty dominant fashion. I would pick her to win a rematch with Rose Namajunas. I don't think we ever get that. Sorry, a third fight, excuse me. If they were to fight again, I would pick Zhang. I think she's peaking at the right time. I think that's when it, what's going to keep her from uh, getting into trouble against Amanda Lamosh. So give me Zhang to score a finish. I'm going to say second round. Uh, second round knockout good pick uh i have john whaley inside the distance um a parlay piece as well i also have the uh, the under three and a half combined with the under four and a, or no yeah I, I i i i have two unders w- which i got him at i think under four and a half in the in the main event under three and a half in this one for plus money I think Amanda is a live dog. I I understand why she is a popular pick, despite being such a it being such a wide margin on the betting lines. But I feel like this is a puncher's chance kind of an opportunity. Like I, I just think Zhang is just at the peak of her powers right now. I think she's just so good. I think she's peaking at the right time. And I think if this fight happened 
two years ago or two years later, I would think Amanda Lemos would have a, a, a really good chance. But right now, it's going to be very, very tough to beat John Wei Li. Maybe Tatiana Suarez can do it. Maybe Yan Jong-An can do it. I think Tatiana Suarez, from an athletic and a competitive and just a powerhouse, pers- a physical perspective, I feel like Tatiana Suarez has the best chance to beat Zhang Weili. So with that, I do think Zhang's going to get her out of there. Will Amanda make things a little hairy for Zhang Weili betters? I think there might be a moment or two, but in the end, I think Zhang Weili will weather any kind of a storm and she does get her out of there uh, within the first three rounds. So that will be an interesting fight till that happens. We'll touch on two quick things and then we'll take some questions before we get to get out of here, AK, but the big fight that has sort of stolen headlines over the past few days is involving Neil Magny, AK. Neil Magny, the the wily vet, doesn't talk trash, doesn't get fired up, even keeled. Not the case this week. If you saw at the press conference, in fact, I talked to John Anik a little while ago. John was telling me that in the fighter meeting, Neil Magny was p- pretty pissed off in the fighter meeting too, saying that nobody he has ever faced, nobody he's ever prepared for, has gotten him as angry as he is this week. And the press conference, things just got a little bananas. They went back and forth. Ian Machado Gary, for better or for worse, has gotten people riled up, whether it's because they're pro Ian or against him. But AK, Neil Magny has become one of the big storylines heading into this card. What have you made of the build? It hasn't been pretty. I know the internet's community MMA fans were like, oh, get this guy off my television screen. I saw a lot of that on Twitter. What have you made of this build and, and of this matchup now that Jeff Neal's no longer competing? Yeah, uh, I'm fine with it. Like uh, I've said many times, we're getting the better of two Neals. Uh, Neil Magny defeated Jeff Neal in the Battle of the Neals a while ago, uh, Je- t- turning Jeff Neal into Jeff Ned. Um, you know, a lot of people don't recognize that, but in a sense, he's got the. I, I don't know in the UFC rankings if Neil is higher right now based on where the careers have gone since, but uh, I do know what we checked earlier today Magni, number 11 in the uh, UFC rankings. Not that those rankings matter. MMA fighting, global rankings, check them out. Um, so I like the fight. I like the fight. I have been mostly ignorant to the trash talk. Uh, I did, I was informed that it got very ugly at the press conference. Ian Machado Gary. The the Connor comparisons were unavoidable. Um, once he started succeeding in Cage Warriors, he's from Ireland. Um, he's a confident guy. He's got his his uh, his wife Layla does an excellent job uh, being his manager, sort of guiding his career. I think she's helped him a lot with developing this persona. Uh, but at times, it almost feels too put on, too online. Um, the Jeff Neal stuff was also got very ugly. He like had an old mugshot of Neal and they put it on his t-shirt and they were kind of like, you know, putting all, all across their social media and selling it. And if people found that funny or amused by that, that's fine. I, I, I get it. It's this is a nasty game. Guys are going to, you know, t- trying to get in each other's head. But I, I, for me, that does nothing for me. I just think that's ugly. I think it's a little gross. And then um, with Neil Magny this week, it was, you know, bringing up some stupid comments Magny made about uh, I'm going to beat my opponent. I'm going to beat one of my opponents like I beat my worse than i beat my child or something horrible thing for magni to say and just as bad i think to bring it up uh, as fight promotion so i i understand what machado gary's trying to do i if it gets people interested in him again this is the fight game um it is cotton mcgregor-esque mcgregor also crossed a lot of lines ahead of his fights uh i'm not a fan of it. i'm not a fan of it. i'm still a fan of this fight i i again i'm not like holding a lot of this against Machado Gary. It's sort of the game they play. It's a hate the 
uh, don't hate the player, hate the game situation. But I do think based on some of his behavior and the whole I'm carrying 292 thing, uh, if he loses on he loses on Saturday, it would be darkly hilarious. And I think he has as much pressure as anyone. You know, you asked me the top, uh, Mike, who has more pressure, Aljo or O'Malley? And I wouldn't quite put on that level, but he might be third. He has even more than the co-main. He has a ton of pressure on him to deliver because he has talked a big game. We and a lot of the media sites have aggregated his comments. We've put it out there. We've am- we've amplified his voice, and he's and now he's facing a short notice opponent. He's got to win. He has got to win. The one thing smart, he hasn't run down Magni as far as how good Magni is. He's given Magni's like skills credit, but boy, he has talked a lot. And if he loses, uh, it'll hurt him in the short term. You now, nothing, nothing major, but um, it's one of those losses that everyone's going to hold against him pretty much for the rest of his career, no matter how successful he is. Far and away, the biggest favorite on the card, minus 485, the comeback on Neil Magny, yeah, plus 370. Yep. We'll see how this plays out. Main card wraps up with, uh, or rounds out, however, mind you, uh, Mario Batista versus Damon Blackshear. Damon Blackshear turning around a seven-day notice after a twister submission like six days ago in Las Vegas. So he's, he's felt pretty breezy throughout this fight week. It's The car, main card's going to kick off with just a tremendous fight between Marlon Vera and Pedro Munoz. I feel like Pedro's being slept on in a big way. I am leaning Marlon Vera in that fight, but I feel like no one's given Pedro credit, which is kind of the story of his career. But I do want to bring up before we get to the peeps, AK, Chris Weidman stepped on the scale, made weight successfully. First time he has done that since before the Uriah Hall fight. We know what happened there. The catastrophic leg injury, the road to recovery just kept it just kept going and going and going. And finally the all American, the former middleweight champion of the world is going to step back into the octagon and face Brad Tavares at UFC 292. John Eric was telling me that that moment for Chris Weidman, when he got announced into the press conference and he got a big pop from the Boston crowd, it kind of put him in a really good place. It was almost like he needed that because he didn't really know how he was going to be, perceived in boston whether he's going to be cheered whether he's going to be booed will people still remember what he accomplished but when he got introduced and he came out from behind that curtain the crowd in the garden went absolutely bananas for this guy and it did something to him so not a lot of people talking about this i feel like this is a extremely under the radar storyline with the main event and with everything that's going on with ian machado gary and neil magny chris weidman coming back after that horrific injury you saw him on the scale. What are your thoughts on the return and the matchup with Brad Tavares? I've always been a big Chris Weidman fan because he was one of the first fighters that made me feel smart. Because when I was still sort of in my nascent MMA fan stage, um, or at least just starting to feel like I had some understanding of how MMA worked, it took a long time. I, I, and probably I still don't. Um, the first Anderson Silva fight. I had picked Weidman to win pretty confidently, pretty confidently. And it wasn't some, I was all on the Weidman hype train. Oh, he's got to smash Silva. It was more like, I was just looking at like their ages and the way they were trending. I'm like, uh, and just, oh, how long can Silva maintain this? And then I liked everything about Weidman's background as far as like his, his ability to grapple, um, he, how quickly he seemed to have taken to the striking game. He picked up some really big knockouts. Um, so I, I was very excited about Weidman's chance. And when he won, I was I was at a uh, I was at like a Boston pizza or something. And I was just like, I got up, I was like my 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 I was pumping my hands in the air and I see some people disappointed and shocked. And I was just like, I didn't say anything, but my body language clearly said, 
I told you so to a room of strangers who I hadn't spoken a word to. So I have a fondness for Chris Weidman. Um, I've, I've enjoyed his career for the most part, the highs, the lows, and really looking forward to him coming back. Brad Tavares, the perfect matchup, a guy who they don't expect to, you know, big be a, you know, just knock him out in the first round, maybe knock him out at all. It's not really uh, Tavares' bag. It's also a tough name. It's a reputable guy. I think Tavares, I've had him in the top 20, top 25 of middleweight for ages just because he's that gatekeeper. He's that that tier's gatekeeper. And he's won more than he's lost, generally. So I, I, like, I like that matchup. But I'll tell you, Mike, I am the worst person, if, if I was to be on the watch party watching this fight, I would be the worst person to have on because I'm going to be very tense and nervous during this fight. Um, I, I'm not expecting the injury to just like, you know, immediately flare up again or for him to take a leg kick and then just get dropped. I, I have a lot of faith that he, in what he said, that they've done everything they can to, you know, rehab, surgery, whatever. I'm sure there's a, what, there's a, I don't know how much metal there is in that leg now, but that's, it's hard for me to see. It's, it's, he's out, cause he's up there in age too, right? This isn't just like, oh, he's coming back. He's 39. He just turned 39. He's been fighting for quite a while now. Um, so I'm optimistic. I'm predicting a win, but there's that, like, there's that part of me that the MMA devil, that's just like, I cannot get the worst case scenario out of my mind. So, uh, I will be, uh, I'll be a bit of a, a wreck watching this one. Yeah, I believe, I mean, just depending on the timing, that could be the first thing that's on when the watch party starts is the Chris Weidman <sighs> fight. Because it's going to be on right before the pay-per-view starts. So we'll see what happens. That is a very interesting fight. Very much looking forward to it. We got Gregory Rodriguez, Dennis Tolulin. That's not going to the cards, more than likely. Austin Hubbard, Kurt Holobo for the lightweight tough finale championship. Brad Katona looking to become a two-time tough champ, taking on Cody Gibson. We got Andre Petrosky getting the Gerald Mearshart test. And then we have Andrew Lee versus Natty. The ice, Matilda Carini Silva versus Marina Moroz. Sneaky deep card. I, I like almost every single fight on this. There's something to be intrigued by in every single fight on this card. It's a good one. So with that said, let's bring in the man, the myth, the legends, the undefeated EKC Leiden. Where is he? There he is. Hi. How we doing? Let's take some questions. Uh, we can roll probably for the next 10 or so minutes. Just because that's how much battery power I have left in my camera. So, <laughs> yeah. By the way, guys, uh, how do you grade the UFC 292 lineup through a little poll? B, very strong B grade, 55%. A, pretty good too, 24%. But I thought there'd be more A's. I think this card is really, really good. But B, B's not bad, 55%. I don't know. It's got, the poten- it's got the potential to be really, really good. I think so. Yeah. Uh, all right. Hmm. But we'll see. Uh, Let's go to the peeps. Oh, I see someone asking. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Let's look at this one. (laughs) If this is the ultimate fighter finale and not UFC 292, does that mean that this is the tough hang finale and not the preview show? Uh, Technically, yes, but it's not the same without GC Connor Burks. Much like my best friend, as much as I love you, uh, GC Connor Burks would have to be here. I I can't do a tough hang finale without him. So, Uh, Casey, there's another question. I'll just pull up real quick. Uh, Brandon wants, because we were just talking about it. Is this Weidman's last fight either way? Um, nothing would make me happier than seeing him win and retire. 
but I have a feeling if he wins, he's definitely it's definitely like I'm back, I'm back. Give me a top ten guy next. I so I don't There's think he no retires. No way, Wyman retires I, on a win. I know. No I would love way. to see it go. Go out on top, Chris. What a story that would be. You come back and win, but almost no chance. Mike, I don't know. I don't know what you think. Mike. Yeah, if he wins, I'm going for that title, Israel Adesanya. <sighs> I'm coming for you. If he loses bad, I think he retires. I kind of like, look, if Chris Wyman can go on a run, that's great. Deep down in the pit of my stomach, this is how I kind of hope this all plays out. Wyman and Tavares go to war. Like They just have a great competitive fight. It's back and forth. Wyman lands a leg kick, takes a leg kick. We get that answer to that question early. And it's just a really close fight. 29-28, maybe we go to Splitty City. Chris Weidman goes the full three rounds in a competitive fight with a top 25 guy. And he's just like, look, I got in there. I did it. I've done. I, what else do I need to do? I'm done. I, I'm satisfied. If he loses bad, we're just going to feel awful about it. If he wins, he's just going to keep going. But if he loses like a really competitive split decision, at least gets to the cards. Like, I think that's a victory in itself. And what a perfect time for him to kind of, right off into the sunset. I'm not here to tell him he like needs to retire or anything like that. But as someone who was on the watch party, when Frankie Edgar got obliterated and retired and watch Luke Rockhold retire, but then not retire two weeks later and watch Robbie Lawler retire the way that he did. I feel like Chris Wyman deserves a, a really good moment and not a scary, nasty, sad one. And I feel like the best chance for us to get this kind of a moment is for him to go out and have a great fight maybe be on the losing end with the Tavares and then he can ride off into the sunset. So that's what I'm kind of hoping for. Um, but if he wins, I don't think he's going anywhere. Yeah. Kind of, yeah, uh, yeah. There we go. Thoughts on why I'm yeah, yeah. still saying he has title. Aspirations. <laughs> I, know, I mean, I know. AK, if you're going to put yourself through this, like shouldn't that be somewhat at least in the back of your mind that maybe I got a, maybe I got something. I've been there before. Maybe maybe getting this surgery and having this bad stuff happen to me, maybe this is just setting me up for something spectacular. We are, we are, we are a yeah. month, a month, a month past from the 10 year anniversary of his knockout of Anderson Silva. So it's mm -hmm. 10 mm -hmm. years ago, plus a month just to kind of uh, give you scaled. <laughs> visualization is a hell of a thing. I'm sure if you ask nine out of 10 martial artists, um, how important visualization is to their careers and to the results they get, it, they'll tell you it's hugely important. Um, Weidman has definitely in his mind played out the scenario where he comes back to night two, gets a winner Tavares, gets a top 10 opponent's next fight. And then, you know, if the cards fall just right, gets a middleweight title shot, whether it's against Izzy or someone else. Um, it's, it's a hell of a thing. Uh, and these, and listen, he wouldn't have gotten as far as he's gotten without, you know, without uh, dreaming, without, it sounds so corny, without dreaming, without imagining it, without picturing how it would go. I, I'm sure he's visualized how him finishing Tavares on Saturday, right? So, uh, yes, he, uh, the, my thought is I can't imagine it being possible that he can fight his way up to that level. I think middleweight just has some decent contenders ahead of him that he would not get past. Um, but I have no problem with him having them. Good for him. That's where his head should be at, I guess. But um, I'd also, have, like I said before, would like to see a retirement. But that's just me. Take a couple more. Uh, why is Batista still on the main card? I would think they would have slid the Weidman fight on there with Cody falling out. So I asked 
Mario was asked about this at, at media day and he said that he was cool fighting Demon Blackshear or anybody else as long as he stayed on the main card. Sean O'Malley mm-hmm. is longtime teammate, training partner, fighting for a world title. Being on this main card meant more to him than the actual opponent. So and the UFC gave him his wish, and that's what's happening. And it's fine. It's fine, I, but I think from a TV TV perspective, since this was uh, the Weidman fight was always planned to be the main event of the prelims, I'm pretty sure uh, ESPN had a bunch of promo packages and stuff kind of built ready for that time in the TV slot. Um, and if they put Batista there, they just wouldn't have those packages, promo packages ready, and those promo packages probably wouldn't fit into the pay-per-view broadcast. So I'm sure there's some TV issues too that sure. go into this, but um, – you know, yeah, gotta pop that rating, man. You gotta yeah, pop yeah. that uh, rating. It's just as also, important as pay per view buys. Yep. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to complain. Bantamweight's rule. Uh, if you want to make the whole plane out of bantamweight, I would support it. Uh, secondly, I think Weidman is getting the free TV. I, I, I view it as him getting the free TV, Rob. Right? He's leading. He's closing out the UFC. Uh, the, sorry, the ESPN main card. There's a lot of casual interest, I think, in Weidman's return, and I think you're much more likely to get a return on that by having him on ESPN what a moment you can build up, right? National television than saying, oh, if you want to see Weidman's return, you've got to buy the pay-per-view. I don't know if the juice is worth the squeeze there. So I know Weidman wants the prestige of being on a main card, but I do think being the featured ESPN um, fight here actually means something. So I think he I think he should be okay with it, and I'm totally okay with it. And if Weidman wins, I'm sure his next fight will be on a pay-per-view portion mm-hmm. of a card yeah. or a main event of some sort of fight night. Yeah. There's going to be a million-plus people watching him fight tomorrow yeah yeah uh um oh which fight can steal the show uh Mm. the show stealer and a low-key banger or maybe it's both for you ak and is it kurt hollow austin hubbard or is it brad katona (laughs) no see that steal the show implies that they're not already the headliner you know you can't steal the show When everyone is already looking forward to your fights the most. That's like 1A and 1B, so you can't – it's going to be one of the Silvas. It's going to be one of the – I think okay. I'm just – I'll go. I'll say Natalia Silva and Julie because I think Natalia Silva can put her away. But if she doesn't, it's going to be a pretty competitive and fun um, three-round fight. Even if she does put her away, I think that's something to watch. So I'm all in on Silva Mania. I hate having to pick one over the other, but I will just pick one. And, and I do like uh, – I do want to see where Natalia Silva goes, but I think that I think Karina Silva is fantastic as well, and um, her weird sort of rematch with uh, Marina Rose is interesting. But yeah, I'll go Natalia Silva and, and Andrew Lee. Casey, I, I'm also going Silva Lee, and as a backup, I am going Cody Gibson versus Katona. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I, I, like that. I think that fight that's got some um, real beef, and um, I've I've always just personally as a fan been a big fan of. Uh, been a big fan of Cody Gibson's fighting style, so I am excited to see what he can do in there. And Brent Katona is a quality bantamweight that should honestly have never been released from the UFC in the first place. Mm-hmm. Nine years. Nine years since Cody Gibson last fought in the UFC. 2014. Look at that. He's one fight away from getting a new contract. What a, what a business this Insane. is. What a business. But as, far as, as far as still the show, I will say uh, uh, Wei Lee versus Limosh. I think... Yeah, I think I think that can be a crazy exciting fight, much in the same way that uh, you mentioned earlier. Uh, Joanna versus Whaley was kind mm. of a it was it was a co-main event. What was the main event for that card? Was that was that? the 
wasn't that the Izzy Romero oh, card? Yeah, Izzy Romero. Romero. Card. Yeah. So, if, uh, so that had a lot of buzz coming into the fight, Izzy Romero. And uh, Whaley and uh, Joanna was kind of like, well, it's a good fight that makes a lot of sense, and we're excited to see it, but we weren't really talking about it. And um, I don't I don't expect a fight of the year, but I do think the Moshe and Zhang are going to be – it's going to be a pretty awesome fight. That aren't people I think Mar- I, I think Cheeto Vera, Pedro Munoz is going to absolutely rule. I think it's going to be super, super good. And yeah. it's not getting – it's getting some attention, but it's not getting it a lot. It's getting the attention because people think Marlon Vera is just going to win and fight Sean O'Malley awesome. in like the, the big rematch. And Pedro's just like, all right, dude, I'm, I'm here too, and I'm coming off a really good win. And I'm, have you seen the guys I've lost to? Like I lose to the very, very best. So yeah. I love that fight. I love the fact that Pedro's kind of like that silent assassin guy right now. He's like, all right, let him forget me. Let him downplay everything that I've done in my career. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go ahead and fight this dude. And I think Stylish. Realistically, there's some value on him from a betting perspective. I understand why people would want to side with Pedro Munoz and, and take a dog shot at him. I mean, low-key, I'm picking Munoz. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I like Munoz a lot, and I, I feel bad that he's not – people aren't talking about him. You know, people are talking about O'Malley Vera, but I think I, I want to see O'Malley Munoz just as much if we get that matchup, you know, the, if the yeah. stars line. But, I uh, don't yeah. think that there's any – fight on this card where the result would shock me i'm trying to like truly truly shock me like there's no one who i'm like oh there's there's no lock for me on this card let me put that way if, if someone had asked like oh what's your lock for this card like winner i have none i honestly don't think there's like there's no fight where i'm better than 80 percent confident that there's well the main 90 percent. there's no fight where i'm better than 90 percent confident that one one of the fighters is going to win i love the matchmaking for this card interesting the one result that would surprise you is if Kurt Hollowo beat Austin Hubbard by decision. Really? That would. Oh, by decision. Okay. Okay. Decision. Yeah. No, if Kurt wins, he's gonna he's gonna run him over in two minutes. That's just what mm. Kurt does, mm. and Hubbard wins decisions. So, mm. yeah. And Gregor uh, Rodriguez, Dennis Delulin will not be fighting for the middleweighty middleweight title. I feel pretty confident in saying that because yeah. <laughs> they're just gonna beat the hell out of each other. All right, we'll take uh, one more, and then we gotta get out of here. One more. We. Will the UFC, AK, try to keep Aljo at Bantamweight if he retains? Where does the division go no. if he no, wins? they don't care. Okay, so we know, care. yeah. They're like, do whatever you want. <laughs> they don't going. care. Let's, go let's go for on. another belt. Yeah, sure. <laughs> do you, I, it's, I can't, we really can't overstate, like, how poorly I feel like the UFC has um, promoted Aljamain Sterling since he came to the UFC. They, re- for whatever reason, they refused to put him on a main card. Uh, for the longest time, I think he was on one, I want to say, fight night main card in his first like five or six fights. And it's weird because he was this young guy, pretty exciting. I think pretty exciting style person, like good good with the media, good on the mic. Um, and they just would not promote him in a meaningful way. It was very bizarre. Even as champion, I almost feel like they, they're reluctant to push him as one of their big guys. Like they don't want – they don't push him as an A-level star. Um, some of that, again, maybe because he's in the media so much and does so much of his own promotion, the UFC either you know feels like they don't need to be involved or they don't um, uh, they don't support it. I don't know. Um, we we we've said there's many justifiable reasons why fans you know might have not been on the uh, Aljamain Sterling bandwagon. Just his title reign is so bizarre. But you know we we always say that the promotion's job is to sort of smooth these things over and make this guy, you know, help make this guy marketable and sell pay-per-views and make you money. And the UFC has not done that. So I don't think they care about keeping Aljo Bantamweight. 
they'd be happy, I think, to move on to Marab or again, Sean O'Malley, get him back into another title shot sooner rather than later. Um, they're fine. They're fine with Aljo doing fe- featherweight, staying at bantamweight. It's not something they're having meetings over. Let's, let's put it that way. Yep. If this is maybe some talk about after five, maybe too, but too hypothetical. But if O'Malley loses a competitive, competitive decision, is there a chance the UFC and, and Aljo vacates? Is there a chance O'Malley might get another title shot coming off a close loss? Yes. Just because. Yes. Okay. A very good chance. Okay. Dude, if Aljo goes, if Aljo goes out there and submits him in round three. It's, there's a still chance he still gets it. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Like it's very, it's that possible. That's why like to me, I, Sean O'Malley has very little pressure because if he loses, like, so what you can, he, at worst, he can go and fight anybody else and one win gets him back. That's just where he is in this division and in his standing with the company right now. So to me, I feel like they'll do Marab versus Cejudo. And if Cejudo somehow isn't ready to go, Sean O'Malley's getting, getting right back in there and fighting for the title. I feel pretty confident in that. If and Corey O'Malley Sandin just gets yeah. kind of hosed yeah. in all of this. Yeah. If O'Malley, uh, 14 seconds, um, Sterling somehow, some some sort of just incredible win like that. Yep. Is O'Malley, will he become the bantamweight Connor in terms of just, well, I know, I know there's no Connor McGregor. Yeah. Connor McGregor is Connor McGregor, but could he find, could, I don't know. Maybe what, what 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 the UFC was hoping Cody Garbrandt was going to be, they might get with uh, with Sean O'Malley in, in terms of just making that that thirty five division just like a marquee, real marquee division, you know, mm-hmm. and with that kind of champ. And, and they got to remember, O'Malley is way more famous than Cody was before his title fight. Like O'Malley is legitimately, I don't want to say he's he's like a, a you know a super mainstream star. Like I don't think he passes the mom test. I think if I if any of us you know if I ask not my yet. mom, does she, not not yet, yet not yeah. yet. I don't know, but if he, if he gets that type of win, you know. And more importantly, there's an age group that knows who this guy is. I think mm-hmm. I I say it all the time. I'm old. Uh, I'm sure people who are out there, you, you young uh, hip cats in the comments, tell me like, do you have friends who aren't into MMA? Who know, who know who Sean O'Malley is, I would wager that they probably some sort of clip of him on clip of his highlights on TikTok, Instagram, whatever. Uh, maybe even something funny he said, a funny clip from his podcast. Um, he stands out. He's distinct and he appeals to a certain fan base. So uh, I, I don't know if he can be the Connor. He can be, you know, that level of star yet, but he is going to ascend to another level of stardom if he pulls off that. Again, maybe not, maybe not AAA tier, but like just a notch below. Like maybe... Clearly, as the biggest as, bantamweight star the UFC's ever had. Sure, we could be talking. Oh, I, like, think, I think. Oh, I think he's already there. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Sure. Yeah, he, yeah. Exactly. He might already be, uh, despite not even having won the titles. So, that's a big moment. There, the, there is so there are, there's so much potential mm-hmm. for O'Malley to become a next level star on Saturday. I don't think it happens, but if he gets the result that he's been calling for for months now, um, it will happen. He's a tier one star if he wins titled on Saturday. Yeah. He's not a McGregor, but he's he's sitting at the table with the John Joneses and the Izzies and them for sure. Well, sorry, in someone the in the Poriers if he wins this fight. Someone in the comments, EQ says, My friends are idiots. That's why they know Sean O'Malley. That's a huge demographic for MMA. Oh, it- the, the idiot demographic is enormous. That thank you, EQ. That's the if biggest friends, demographic. <laughs> no, there's no bigger demographic than the idiot demographic. If your idiot friends know who Sean O'Malley is, trust me that that means there's probably 
many, 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 many more idiots who also know who Sean O'Malley is, who maybe don't know love MMA, but maybe love him some so O'Malley and will uh, will be curious about how this fight goes. Wow. Yeah. That's a great way yeah. to say it. I think that's what's exciting about the main event is to, that I think we all see that kind of next level potential in terms of even just as journalists, just like, man, the stories that are going to and just the direction of the sport that could it could go if O'Malley wins dominantly and just who just, you just don't know. It's just kind of a new frontier in terms of, uh, I guess, the bantamweights. So it'll be fun. I feel. And just to, just think about the street cred it gives it gives Dana White's contender series. O'Malley becomes the second champion. Oh, no. yep. <laughs> He's like the first dude that they like basically handpicked to come on the show and possibly go for a run like this. I mean, Jamal Hill just won the belt. Now Sean O'Malley, that's the second champion. It's just a huge boost all around. Like the UFC, the UFC, like I said, will never say this. Dana White will never say this. They are so hoping Sean O'Malley wins this fight. They are so hoping that happens. Oh, course, that destiny, in, in fact, rears its head and and Sean comes through. And it'll be a wild moment. Like, I've already pictured what the reaction would be if Sean O'Malley knocked out Aljamain Sterling tomorrow night at the watch party. I will lose my shit if that's what happens. <laughs> and, and just, like, wow, I cannot believe that this just happened. Like, almost like how McGregor knocked out Jose Aldo. It would kind of feel like a similar thing to me. Yeah. That's what, as The more we're talking about, the more kind of like, I was like, I'm kind of feeling the same parallels kind of coming into this fight. I know Connor's Connor, so there's no real comparison, but this feels as close as we've gotten to it since then. Yeah. I like the comparison. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. You can go ahead and hit the music. Uh, we're done. We will be, Jose and I will be heading over to the garden. There's a 30th anniversary Q and a going down with, uh, Rob font, Calvin Cater, Joe Lozon and Chael P. Sonnen of taking questions from the peeps. So he will be there. Then we'll have ceremonial weigh-ins. And then I fly out to New York first thing tomorrow morning. We'll have the watch party, the People's Pre-Fight Show, 5.45 p.m. Eastern. We'll have all the winner interviews, post-fight press conference, post-fight show. AK and I back on Sunday for on to the next one. There's just a lot going on. So for all of your UFC 292 coverage throughout this weekend, stick with us here at MMAfighting.com. So for Casey, for AK, I am Mike Hack. Thank you for watching. We'll see you later on, everybody. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network.